Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining me on the Born to Talk radio show podcast. This is going to be a very interesting show. I am very excited to have Tom Dozier joining me today. Thank you for joining me, Tom. Oh, it's a, hello, Marcia. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So just for those of you listening, I just want to just tell you briefly that Tom is the president of a nonprofit of the Misophonia Institute, and he's the owner of Misophonia Treatment. Along with that, he has published his second edition of Understanding and Overcoming Misophonia, and that is our topic for today. And before we get into that, I think it would be really great if you could just tell us a little bit about your background and yourself so we could get to know you a little bit, Tom. Oh, happy to do that, Marcia. So I am uh, married uh, almost 50 years. Later this year, it will be my 50th anniversary. I have four mm-hmm. children, nine grandchildren. I had a full 30-year career as an engineer, engineering manager, manufacturing engineering manager. And then I decided to do something for the rest of my life because I don't like to sit around. And so I went back to school in the field of behavior science, and I got a master's degree in behavior science and was doing parent coaching. And that's how I, as a a parenting coach, that's how I was introduced to misophonia. So that's what I do. And now 90%, I say my primary career is a behavioral parenting coach, but 90% of my time is misophonia. And I do that by video chat. Oh, that's terrific, because by doing that video chat, that, I think that is one of the most incredible pivots, for lack of that word that we're all using today, that has happened um, due to um, COVID. Because whether it's um, doing a Zoom call with a client or a Zoom call with a family member, we are now able to look and see and relate to people regardless of where we live, and I know you help people across this country, and I think that that's tremendous. So let's start with this. How did you become involved in misophonia research and treatment? What's the backstory? So it was uh, 2012. I was doing work as a parenting coach. I got a call from a mom, and we're working by telephone at that time, and her daughter had this incurable hearing disorder called misophonia that was going to ruin her life. And this daughter would just have these extreme emotional reactions, but she had the reactions to auditory, visual, and olfactory or odor triggers. And so I go, well, that can't be a defect in the hearing neurology. That has to be further on in the brain. This is a reflex condition. And since this was unknown and there was no treatment for it, it was going to potentially ruin her life, I thought, this is a perfect opportunity to go dig in. And I had the time, and I decided I would go apply behavior science research on 
reflexive or respondent behavior to this unknown condition. And so I went out and Google searched on Google Scholar for misophonia, and there were three articles only at that time. So I've just taken on and um, planned on doing it for just a little while, but it's taken over. Isn't that interesting? So I realize we're just at the beginning of 2022, but you're talking about something that happened nearly 10 years ago, which is fascinating. I think what would be great for all of us to understand is what is this? I'd like to also spell this for the people that are listening. It is spelled M-I-S-O-P-H-O-N-I-A. And you have two websites, the misophoniatreatment.com and the misophoniainstitute.org. So as you are listening, if you want to get into these websites, they are absolutely there and available for you. But let's start out with some definitions. What exactly is misophonia? So misophonia is a condition where a person hears, sees, could be even smells, could be even vibrations, but there's a certain stimulus, and the person has an abnormally strong emotional response that they really can't control. Essentially, I hear you chewing, and I am filled with rage. And so it's, it's, a, it's a reflex condition, but essentially I hear a sound, I have an extreme response, and I can't tolerate it. Let me ask you, um, just out of curiosity, because I'm going, I'm, I'm curious. So if I don't know the answer to this, maybe somebody else is having the same question. When someone has this extreme emotional response, I, I, you've led me to believe it's very negative. Can someone have misophonia and have not a negative response, but just break out into laughter or dancing or clapping or something that is positive? Or is it generally with this condition something that takes you more down a rabbit hole? It's always a rabbit hole, Marsha. It is it's, anger, okay. rage, disgust, anxiety, sadness, fear, guilt all kinds of negative rabbit hole feelings. So it's negative. And um, is, there a, is there an age connected to this? Well, not yeah, – I mean, yes and no, because it's very, very common. By the way, it is very common. About 15, 10 to 15% of adults in the United States have this. And with anything, if you plot age of onset versus – you know, the number of people you have, you'll find that there's an average time or a mean time. That, and, and so it typically develops in late childhood, 7 to 12 or so, but it can be very early or it could be, you could be in your 50s or 60s and develop misophonia. Interesting. But typically you would say that it, it starts showing, rearing its ugly head, as they would say, um, in that 7 to 12-year-old range. So they're in school. They're in elementary school and maybe getting ready for middle school when that happens. Is that right? Well, let me clarify this because sure. misophonia is not 
something that, oh, doesn't everybody get upset when you hear somebody eating, chewing loudly, or isn't that, don't we all have this kind of irritation? That's not a reflex condition. That's just a normal irritation to normal sound. Annoyance. And so, it's an annoyance, annoyance right? Yes, it's annoyance, mm-hmm. right. But misophonia starts when you get your first acquired reflex reaction so that it's no longer just a normal annoyance. So it doesn't, like, start to come on around 7 to 12. One person will start at 7, another person will start at 4, and another person will start at 55. Got it. So, so it, 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 it just, you have to develop that first reflex. And that could be, like you said, that could be um, anger, that could be rage, that could be disgust, it could be a lot of things that, that puts you in that position. That, Correct? That, Marcia, that, that's, what, that's the emotions that the person experiences, but there's more to it as to what actually causes misophonia. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about, before we get to the causes, I guess I'm curious to know how common is this? 10 to 15% of adults in the United States have it at a significant, significant level. There was a study done using uh, uh, undergraduate psychology students. You know, take a survey, you get an extra point, credit point. Mm -hmm. And 19.9%. Essentially, 20% had clinically significant misophonia. Interesting. Interesting. I, I mean, I wonder how many people are listening right now and are either identifying because it's like, oh, my gosh, you're describing me. Oh, my gosh, you're describing my sister, my mother, my spouse. Um, oh, my gosh, you're describing my children. Oh, my gosh, I'm a school teacher, and I'm now recognizing this in my classroom. Uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting, and um, I, I, I would say that there are people that have truly never even heard of this word. So that's why I am so grateful for you joining us and educating us about this because you are a behaviorist, and you, you're the man that knows about this. And so that's why you have a treatment center and you don't work alone and you have people that work with you, which I think is outstanding. Maybe we could go over to a little bit about the cause. You started to say a little bit about sure. that. What, what causes and how does it develop? Okay, so a lot of our listeners have heard of Pavlovian conditioning, or you ring a bell and give the dogs the meat, you know, ring a bell and you give them the meat, ring a bell, you give them the meat. And then after you've repeated that process 10 times, you ring a bell and you don't give the dog the meat, but the dog salivates. So that's Hmm. an acquired or a learned reflex reaction. And we don't learn reflexes the way we learn math and other skills. It's it's, It's done by our brain stem down our autonomic nervous system, which is our brain stem, I like to call it our lizard brain. It, it's the part of us that keeps us alive, that makes us breathe and sweat and does all of our food processing. That part of our brain has the ability to learn new reflex reactions. And so anytime that part of the brain, that lizard brain, notices a stimulus and sees a muscle tighten, stimulus that same muscle stimulates that same muscle, then it will become 
a, a an acquired reflex, stimulus reflex, and then it and then it goes from there. So this is this is normal neurology that causes this what's called classical conditioning or Pavlovian conditioning. In fact, babies will, and they've done research studies with this using recordings of mother's voice and picking up the baby, that if a mother talks to their baby and says, oh, we're going to go to the bedroom now, I'm going to pick you up, it's time to eat, and then picks them up, that that talk, pick up, talk, pick up creates, their mother starts to trigger a relaxation reflex Hmm. because the baby has associated the the baby's lizard brain has associated that voice is followed by relaxing. And that becomes a learned reflex. That's so interesting. Okay, i got to ask you because I'm wondering this. Someone else might be wondering this. Did you make up the term lizard brain? What does that, what does that mean, lizard brain? Is there something about a lizard that's, that's got a different kind of brain or something? Well, yeah, because a lizard doesn't – first off, the autonomic nervous system from a developmental standpoint – is also known as the reptilian brain. So evolutionary-wise, developmentally, the the brainstem is a non-thinking brain. It's simply a reflex brain to keep you alive. So that's because it's the reptilian brain, and it doesn't listen. It doesn't. It's not a thinking brain. That's why I call it the lizard brain. Got it. Hmm. So tell me, we, we, we've talked a little bit in the very beginning that there are lots of different triggers. Um, so let's, let's talk about triggers. What are the sounds okay. that misophonia triggers? Well, virtually, okay, so most commonly misophonia is known as a condition where I hear somebody chewing and I'm filled with rage. And in a, in a large study with over 1,000 uh, people responding, 95 to 96% had eating triggers. So eating is by far the most common. Nasal sounds are, and by the eating, it, that may include even the, the lip noises we make when we're talking. And then there's breathing, oh. oral sounds, uh, uh, nasal sounds. And those are probably the second most common trigger. But then literally any repeating sight or sound can become a trigger. So I, I know of a case where the man only had one trigger, and it was the smell of orange peel. You know, if you twist an orange peel, you get that orange Sure, that's smell. citrusy. Uh-huh. That, huh? that was his yes. only trigger. So sometimes people are triggered by their a name. Um, I just, you know, met a person who was triggered by his his full name, but not his nickname. But as How a child, interesting. when he was in trouble, his parent called him by his full name. Wow. And and he gets zapped. Now, the one thing about about these triggers, again, it can be anything. It's whatever that person is noticing in their world. So it's very common that um, a child is triggered by their father's chewing but not their mother or their brother's chewing but not their sister or not their parents or their 
family chewing, but not their dog chewing. So these reflexes, these Pavlovian conditioned or learned reflexes, are a complex stimulus. It's not just the sound. That's what I mean by complex. It includes mm-hmm. who's there, what are the social expectations, what are the settings. Um, and, and so all of those go into creating that physical muscle reflex. Now, I want to clarify one thing, Marcia. When I was sure. talking about how it develops, once the physical reflex develops, then the emotional explosion develops because the person is now getting zapped by their lizard brain. It's a, it's a little bit like a learned fingernails on the chalkboard. People hear that, at least they used to hear that back in our day when, when we had chalkboards. But the fingernails on the chalkboard, people say, oh, stop, I hate that sound. Right. But what happens genetic, genetically is that probably 95 to 99% of the people who hear that fingernails on the chalkboard shiver. So what they should be saying is, ooh, stop, I hate shivering, but they don't. They say, stop, I hate that sound. And with misophonia, they hear somebody chewing and their shoulders clench, and then they say, and then they, then they have this anger reflex or disgust reflex. And these are actually emotional reflexes that are learned by a couple of little spots behind your eyebrows that take something that's not positive or negative emotion, and then they make it into an automatic reflex, positive or negative emotion. So, for example, with learning these emotions, if you like nature and you're out walking along and you see a little chunk of paper on the, on the trail in front of you, you think how disgusting that somebody would be so slovenly and inconsiderate. Well, you get a little bit closer and you, do, you discover it's a $100 bill. And your emotions do a 180 switch because a $100 bill has been associated with positive emotions and trash on the, on the trail has been associated with negative emotions. Interesting. <clears throat> That's interesting. So to, to recap, so it starts, with, it starts physically, right? It's, it's, it's yes. a physical development. And then it turns yes. into an emotional reflect. Is that the word you use? It, it is an emotional reflex, yes. Okay, interesting. So it, you see that piece that, of paper on the ground, and you go, God, I can't yeah. believe they would just leave that trash there. And then as you get closer, yeah. you go, oh, that ain't that is trash. That's, that's, that's a $100 bill. I'm picking that up. I'm going to look around and see if somebody dropped it, and then I'm going to – it's mine. I found it. But, but is that but a diff- – please explain, Yes. But, Marsha, wouldn't you have more than a, oh, that's a $100 bill? I'd wouldn't be excited. you have an emotional, like, hey, that's a $100 bill? Yes. Like, it would trigger a positive, it would immediately, immediately, instantly trigger a positive emotion. Yes. And that's what yes, I mean by would. an emotional reflex. Yes. So, so that is not a negative that's not oh my god i can't believe you're doing that chalkboard thing again it's driving me crazy stop already with it so so you can have something that triggers something that is um a positive emotional thing like yeah am i right as opposed to yeah. it's like johnny smith how many times do i have to tell you to clean your room and it's like yeah. oh god every time i hear johnny smith she's yelling at me to clean my room 
Yes. Is that am, exactly. have I followed that? Okay, great. Yes. Okay, good. You, you followed that. You followed that correctly. And okay. before everybody, it, before those of you who have misophonia, I'm going to ask that you listen a little bit longer, because I know you think Tom Dozier doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh no. And the reason. That's true. Oh, 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 I'm not you. you don't have misophonia, Marsha. And the reason okay. no, that people, the reason that, that those of you that have misophonia may think I don't know what I'm talking about is because that physical reflex that I described happens so quickly, and you, you, you hear the crunch, 200, two-tenths of a second, you have this physical flinch, and maybe by a quarter or three-tenths of a second, your head is exploding with, these, with this anger and rage and disgust. And so the physical reflex is invisible to you. Those of you with misophonia do not notice that initial physical reflex. So please listen invisible. It's, it's invisible and it's so quick. And the emotions are so extreme and unpleasant that they mask your understanding of the experience. Wow, that's really fascinating. Well, I would agree. I hope that people do continue to listen because you have a lot that you can offer. And uh, and I will follow this, obviously, up with um, written information as well. In fact, when we get towards the end of this show, um, you have an incredible offer that you are offering people from your book. Um, how can someone tell if they do have misophonia or some other sensitivity? Okay, so there's, from, from again, most people have auditory triggers um, and visual triggers. So a lot of people don't have maybe, uh, well, it depends on when it starts. It usually starts with sound. So I'm going to just use sound, but it could be a smell. It could be seeing somebody twirl their hair or jiggle their leg or pick at their cuticle. So it could be any kind of a stimulus. But if, you, if you're upset and can't tolerate loud sounds, that's called sensory uh, over-responsiveness or sensory processing disorder, a part of that, or hyperacusis, which means loud sounds just are overly loud and your brain's trying to shut them down. Um, if you hear a sound like chewing or snipping, just a, a relatively normal volume sound, and you instantly have this, oh, I can't stand that. Gosh, I wish that shut up. That is going to be misophonia. It's just about that simple. And mm-hmm. if you hear something like a crying baby, which is one of our top ten annoying sounds in the world, um, and, and you get this extreme emotional response, well, if you're sitting beside the baby on an airplane, you know, or the baby's in front of you, row one row in front of you on the airplane, that may just be an annoying sound. But if you find that in other situations where you're hearing the baby crying in a distance and it's a soft sound and you have the same emotional response, just not quite as strong, that's misophonia. So you have a stimulus and you have a very strong emotional response. Now, Marcia, I have probably talked to or treated close to a thousand people. And out of that thousand people, I can remember two 
which we feel like did not have misophonia. Interesting. Yeah, wow. it's very it's very common, and um, if you hear a so so if you hear a sound and you get this urge to leave or make them stop, then or you just hate that sound, that's misophonia. So how does it progress over time? Does it does it sort of stay the same, or does it progressively get worse, or could it possibly get better? How does it how does it usually progress over time? So it could be all three of those. In one person, may get, it may go away after a while. That's rare. Um, it usually, the more you hear a specific stimulus, the stronger the physical and the emotional reflexes become because they are learned reflexes that, the more you experience it in a normal environment, the worse it becomes, and you pick up new sounds um, as you go along, typically. So misophonia typically gets worse throughout childhood, and then usually a lot of triggers are at home, and the child moves away and starts controlling the amount of time they're with their, their parent that triggers them. And so now they have a way of of reducing their triggers, and it gets a little bit better. And then they get into college, and the people beside them are sniffing all the time. And they, you know, they get a roommate and in the dorm, and the dorm roommate makes triggers, and they're enduring the distress. The more you endure misophonia triggers and distress, the worse your misophonia becomes. So COVID has been a real problem here. Because people are they're in their home and they're hearing the typing of a family member and that becomes a trigger and gets worse and worse and worse. Or they're hearing the neighbors um, making, you know, sounds over there, rummaging around, bumping, working out on their outdoor, you know, uh, weight set or whatever. And it's just these they just they build over time unless you do something about it. We're going to get to treatment. We're not. We are definitely going to get to treatment. But I am curious, if sounds are your triggers, could as as opposed to something visual that's your trigger. Let's just say it's mm-hmm. an auditory trigger. I am assuming that you could have multiple auditory triggers, not just that chewing, but now that neighbor is constantly rattling its trash, their trash can and it's making me crazy. So now that one's bugging me or whatever, another sound. Is, it's, so am I right that, that it's not like you have this one triggers chewing, but that's as far as it's going to go. It could be, it could progress. Most people have multiple triggers. And again, it can develop to any repeating sound or sight okay. or stimulus. So okay. yeah, and, and it's usually it's usually much worse than the trash can because that's like a one-time bump 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 bring it in. It's usually something that's repeating, like them playing music over there while they work out with their little gym set, or lawnmowers, or leaf blowers, or that Got sort it. of sound. 
even though the, even though if it was loud beside your window, that would not that would be irritating. But when you hear it in a distance and it still and it still triggers these reflexes and these strong emotions, that's that's when it's misophonia. Again, it could be any wow. of these sounds. So can a person do anything to reduce the severity on their own? Absolutely. Oh, good. So, All right. So first off, everyone should, I'd like everyone to understand that the more you're triggered and stuck in a situation and experiencing this misophonia distress, this, and your distress level is going up with time, uh, which it typically does when you're stuck in that situation, um, the stronger these reflexes become. So you really don't want to just try to tough it out and, and do nothing ex- except try to endure it until it goes away because it doesn't go away. It just gets stronger and stronger. It's a self-strengthening reflex. So if you are in that situation and your neighbor is mowing their lawn every day because I know a situation where the father-in-law was retired and mowed the lawn every day. Um, and then you should put in earplugs or something, right? You, you, you just you don't want to endure misophonia distress. So that's one thing. The second thing that often helps is to add noise to your world, add good noise, add, um, you know, use a little noise machine or a noise app on your phone that makes rain sounds or waves or babbling brooks or something that will be a good sound because we know the phrase, it's so quiet you can hear a pin drop. Mm-hmm. And when it is silent, your ears turn up the sensitivity so that sounds seem louder and they're more noticeable. Oh, that's so, great. So if you add um, some positive noise, and, and music works, but not as well as, it doesn't work as well at reducing triggers as uh, a noise like pink noise or rain or babbling brook or something. Right. There's, the noise those, like. there's those calm um, apps that you see oftentimes for people mm-hmm. that have trouble going yeah. to sleep at night and they just want to have some yeah. peaceful sound. That that's a that's a very good that's a very good suggestion, I would think. Yes. Yes. So, um, so, so you would, and by the way, if somebody, if you're triggered by somebody breathing sound, then it doesn't really take a lot of noise. And by the way, that's a common trigger. It doesn't mm-hmm. take a lot of noise to reduce that sound significantly because it's a very soft sound. Uh huh. I can see where you could do that in your home. If you're a child in a classroom, that might be a little bit more difficult, I would think. Yes. But. Now, if a child in a classroom can get disability accommodations, and oh. I help, I regularly help people do that, so Great. that the child in the classroom can actually wear earbuds and get a little bit of noise into their ears, or move away from the, the kid who's sniffing, mm-hmm. um, because if you're stuck in a classroom and you can't get away, and you're getting and you have a person sniffing beside you and that's a trigger, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So uh, American with Disability Act accommodations are, are very good. The, the, another thing that you as an individual can do 
is you can try to relax. Now, people tell me on the, the Facebook groups, I've mentioned this, they go, oh, come on, there's no way to do that. Well, doing a poor job at relaxing your muscles is better than doing a good job of tensing up. So trying to relax, trying to limit how much torture you get from triggers, both of those can help. And there is an app that is free called Misophonia Muscle Relaxation. should say training. It does on Google, but it doesn't on Apple because they cut me off. But Misophonia uh-huh. Muscle Relaxation, and it's an app that I created that will teach you – teach is not the right word – that will guide you through the activities that will develop the neurological connections to relax on demand. That's and so terrific. that is a yeah. I'm looking at your website, Tom, right now, the okay. um the misophonia treatment dot com website and I see that there mm-hmm. is something here called misophonia trigger apps and I believe that is what you're talking about. And people can, um, they can. I see that they can sign up for a newsletter here, and um, yeah. and maybe perhaps that's how they would be able to learn more about this app. But I think that it's one thing to identify a problem, or a condition, or however we want to de- determine what this is called. But I think it's incredibly remarkable that you have all of these different scenarios on how to help this problem because maybe you didn't even know you had it. You just know something has really annoyed you or you're watching little Susie just get so irritated with her brother or maybe the dog that's barking and it's like, oh, my God, you know, it's, every time the dog barks you want to throw something at it. Well, we can't have that here. We're going to have to find a way to help you with that. And I I think that that's why it's so important for people that are listening to sign up for your newsletter, to visit the information that you have to offer, because maybe it's not even for them. Maybe it's for their loved one or someone that they know, and that's why I think this is such a valuable, valuable conversation to have. And I thought perhaps we could talk about some of the treatments that you do provide um, at your treatment center to let people know what what you can. I mean, there's so much we can talk about, but I think that you know, I think that there's some treatments that you would recommend, and there might be some treatments you would not recommend. So let's hear a little bit about that. Okay, so let's let's first be very clear. My treatment center is a virtual center, and okay. so uh, so one of the really good treatment that was developed not by me but by Chris Pearson in the UK is sequent repatterning hypnotherapy. And sequent goes with sequential. So it's a sequential way of changing your brain using hypnotherapy. And this is a, an 8 to 10 week program that's a package program. They don't want people to try it. You have to really engage and be involved in it. You have to make the drive the bus with hypnotherapy, you have to make, decide what changes you want to make and then they can help you. But that's a, that's a therapy that can be pro- provided by video chat and you can find treatment providers for this in the uh, treatment provider directory on misophoniatreatment.com. 
All right. And most are in the UK. One is in Australia. Wow. So the other, the other treatment, which is what I developed, I call relaxation and counter-conditioning therapy. So learning, again, learning to relax takes neurological growth in your brain. Your, when you use your muscles in certain ways, like if you think about what you can do with your hands and then think about what you can do with your toes, there's, no, there's nothing similar there because you've used your hand millions of times in many ways that have caused our neurons to put out new feelers called dendrites on, on one end and then the other little end of the, of the other neurons called axons grow, actually grow out and find those connections and they make new connections into your brain. Now, one neuron in your brain is going to have over a thousand connections to other neurons. So our brain is extremely complex. It's the most complex system in the world. And these connections grow with use. So the muscle relaxation training will grow new neurons so that you can learn to relax, let's say, your abdomen the way you relax your jaw or your hand. Um, and so I, do, I use a relaxation training and then counter conditioning is a way of doing something different when you're hearing triggers. For example, my wife developed a trigger to her chicken squawking. And uh, she came in and says, Tom, you've got to do something about the chickens. They're driving me crazy. And these are her pets. I mean, she's got a little bar on her window. She feeds them treats. These are her pets. And mm-hmm. uh, we worked on what her reflex was, her initial physical reflex which is what drives this, and it was uh, her breath was being stopped. Her lizard brain was making her stop breathing. And so her counter-conditioning treatment was to just breathe in very slowly and breathe out very slowly. And, and, and she did that breathing. And see, the reason she was holding her breath is because she would hear the chicken squawking and think, oh, no, I hope that doesn't bother the neighbors. And that thought of, oh, no, I hope that doesn't bother the neighbors, had a little hold-her-breath physical reflex with it. So then when her lizard brain saw that, it goes, oh, I hear the chicken squawking. I'm supposed to make those breathing muscles clench up. So she just breathed in very slowly and breathed out very slowly when they started continuously, never holding her breath, when they started squawking and her trigger went away. So that's an example of counter-conditioning. And it literally I, uh, went away. Wow. It literally went away because the lizard brain is neurotic and insecure. It, <laughs> it, you know, I, I follow the rules most of the time, um, a lot of the time. But the lizard brain tries to always follow the rules, and it's the rules that it, it learns from watching you. So um, that, that lizard brain, it's like... And, and anybody that remembers the movie Monsters, Inc., Roz is the time card lady that gives Wyskowski a hard time. And that's like your lizard brain goes, I'm watching you, always watching. And that, and that lizard brain, it's watching, trying to predict what it can do, you're going to do and then do it for you to help you. So it heard the squawking, and it predicted that my wife was going to hold her breath. 
So it did that quickly for her in about, in about two-tenths of a second. And then it, because it's neurotic and insecure, it goes and it watches to make sure that she actually held her breath also, that, she, that, it, that it predicted correctly. And so when it was, Meet the Funny was developing, she would hear the squawking, uh, the lizard brain would zap her chest muscles, and then that kind of jolt to her body would make her hold her breath even more, and the lizard brain got the feedback it was doing the right thing. But when she was breathing in and out slowly, the lizard brain would say, oh, it's time to, to lock up those breathing muscles. It would hit the muscles and then watch and see that they kept moving. And it goes, oh, my goodness, I did the wrong thing. I'll back down a little bit. I'll back down a little more. I'll back down a little bit more. And it just backs down until it says, there's that squawking. I'm doing nothing. Yep, that's the right thing. And it's gone. That's, so that's counter-conditioning. That, okay, so let me ask you, can something, oh, we've talked about smells and sights and sounds. Can thoughts also trigger this? Thoughts do not, no one has thought triggers. We don't have thought triggers. Okay. okay. But, but thought, if I'm triggered by my brother chewing and I hear a big crunch of him chewing and I move away from that sound, every time I replay that sound in my head, I can trigger myself. Does that make sense? So it's kind of a thought trigger, but it's, not, it's a remembering the sound trigger. I see. Interesting. Are there some treatments that we should, that, that people that, that are, and I'm using the word suffering because, frankly, it does sound like it's something that you suffer with. Is, are there treatments that, that should be avoided? There is one big one that should be avoided, um, and it's the treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. And, and this is a treatment where you're supposed to just have the stimulus and do nothing. So it's, it's called exposure and response prevention. So this would be a case where they would say, sit here while I eat these fritos and don't do anything. Just sit there and don't do anything. And that form of, ex, of just brutal exposure makes misophonia worse. Wow. So you have to really – now, I will say that I use trigger sounds in my treatment, but I use them in a very weak way. Like I have the, the developed the app called the Misophonia Trigger Tamer, and it allows you to play a trigger at a specific duration, let's say three-tenths of a second, just a little sound, and – 5% volume. And so at that really low level, it doesn't trigger the full misophonia response. And if you're playing video games or playing with your dog, that's a positive situation, and the little triggers can just fade out. So that's counter-conditioning as opposed to this old-fashioned exposure therapy. So okay, avoid... So this Avoid mm -hmm. brutal exposure. 
So just avoid brutal exposure. All right. That's good to know. I, I don't know how many people are taking notes, but I'm hoping that if there are questions, first of all, if there are questions, you are very easy to reach. Your phone number is on your website. You have a newsletter there. You have an email address that if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, um, I just think that that's phenomenal. And In fact, maybe I should just say this right now because I don't want to run out of time because I do have a couple more questions. But you have written a book, and the title of your book I mentioned at the top of the hour is called, it's your second edition of this book, it's called Understanding and Overcoming Misophonia. And it's quite the cover. The, the cover of your book itself is very interesting to me. But um, you do have an offer. I mean, you are a very generous man. So why don't you tell the listeners about the offer that you are um, ava- making available as a takeaway for our our listeners. Okay. So the offer is the first, I think it's about two-thirds of the book, Understanding and Overcoming Misophonia. It doesn't cover treatment, but it covers what misophonia is, how you recognize it, how you, a lot of stories of people with misophonia, and the things you can do yourself to, to manage it. And that, that, a free, it's a PDF download. It has okay. no, no strings attached. You don't have to give me your email address. You don't have to, you know, sign in. You do anything. You just download it. And to get it, you go to misophoniatreatment.com mm-hmm. slash born to talk. Perfect. I'll make sure. That's very generous, Tom, and I will make sure that I include that in my blog with a hyperlink where people can just go directly there to do that, which I think um, is very, very thoughtful and, and very generous of you to do that. I, I, I just, I'm trying to imagine what this must be like to be that parent of the child that is, I, I that is really being so disturbed because we're not talking autism here. We're not talking anything other than misophonia. Am I, I am correct about that, right? Ab- absolutely correct. Okay, I think that, that, that's important. But, but you know, Marcia, it, 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 in many children it is such explosive behavior that they hear their brother bite into a potato chip and they start mm-hmm. screaming and yelling, shut up, you're disgusting. And it is extremely disruptive to families. And for families and for families that don't know about misophonia, and by the way, most pediatricians do not know about misophonia. Really? So right it, well, wow. you see Marcia, it is not it is not in the criteria, the diagnostic criteria for diseases, the ICD it's called, and it is not in the diagnostic criteria for psychiatrists and psychologists, which is called Hmm. the DSM, and it is not in the textbooks that the doctors use, learned from at school, and the last time I checked, it was not in 
the little special app where they type in a, a name and it tells them what it is. Interesting. It wasn't there incorrectly, and I contacted the company that ran this, this service, this app, and explained misophonia, and so they took out their incorrect response but didn't put anything else in. So it, it, it looks like the little brat disorder. I have a child who screams and yells at the dinner table and says she hates her brother. Wow. You know, I can see where if somebody was unfamiliar with this and Susie is having a hissy fit because Joey is making so much noise with those Cheetos and all you want to do is say, Susie, just go to your room. You know, I'm sick of hearing you scream at your brother about this. You know, when when in reality, I, I mean, this just seems like, frankly, this just seems like pediatricians should know about this but also if i i feel like teachers should know about this and i think that you know getting in front of um school districts and talking about this um to me seems so obviously important that that people that are with children all day and 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 they are and they're witnessing this behavior like maybe you know it's maybe like you say it's mostly sounds but sometimes it could be smells and i can't stand the smell of your peanut butter and jelly sandwich and i don't want to sit next to you and you can't make me sit next to you and you know what i mean i and oh, yeah. and meanwhile the teacher is going why sit down stop behaving like this this is unacceptable i'm going to have to give you a timeout instead of saying what, this happens every single day, Joey, every single day that you sit next to him or her and they, they open up their peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you have a fit about that. And now you're lashing out. And frankly, I, did I just see you make a fist? Are you about to hit him? <laughs> am, I, yeah. am I over-exaggerating this or is that – because I'm trying to picture the, the explosive behavior because I don't, I've never seen it, so I don't know how to exactly – see it in my head. Is that what I'm describing at the lunch table? Would this be an example of that? Well, let me say that, that yes, yes. However, most kids, because of it, they, most children can control themselves in public. And you'll, oh. see that they're just in, that you'll just see that they're in distress. Let me ask you this. If you got stopped by a policeman and you were really irritated, would you control yourself? Sure, I don't want to get more trouble. I would. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. So, so, so when, when a child is exploding at her brother at home and her friends are there, and, and parents ask me this, why does she explode when, when, her, when, when her friends are not there, but when her friends are there, she's not triggered? And I usually will turn to the child and say, let me ask you a question. When your friends are there, are you triggered and you just – Control yourself because it would be too embarrassing to do anything. Kids always say, yep, that's right. So they can control themselves. So usually in public settings, they just endure it with distress. At home, where they're more free to to act, then they get more explosive. Now, there, there have been a couple of cases where people have exploded in public. There was a Southwest flight from Chicago 
to New Manchester, New Hampshire in 2015, was slow uh-huh. getting off the ground. This 68-year-old man went to sleep, and the 64-year-old woman with misophonia was sitting beside him. He started snoring. That was one of her triggers. She tried to wake him. He didn't wake. He kept snoring. She took her ballpoint pen, and she stabbed him in the arm three times. Oh, my goodness. And he screamed, and they took the, the, the plane back to the gate and took her off and put her on a later flight. There was, a, there was an anesthesiologist um, in Denver area a couple of years ago who got so upset. He was turning off all of the audible health monitor alarms, which is a big no-no in recovery room. And the nurse mm-hmm. came around and started turning her back on, telling him he can't do that. And he grabbed her by the throat and started choking her. Oh, my goodness. And then after, That's extreme. Then he let her go and retired. <laughs> but, but that was misophonia. So, but rarely in public, rarely with adults, almost never with adults in public, and use rarely with kids in public, do you see an outwardly aggressive response? Let, you may so see let me. Their oh, let me. So let me clarify. I've got quotes around in public. Um, when you say they rarely, they might, they might not actually lash out. Would school be considered in public or no? Yes. Yes. Rarely will they hit another person in school. They may oh. hit themselves. They may pinch themselves. May they, they may dig their fingers into their, into their arm because they're in I see. So how does the observant teacher recognize them so they're not having – a cow, like that's the term we used to use when we were kids. Oh, she's yep. having a cow. You know, that was, that yep. was what we're, we're, we're old enough to remember those terms. So if they're not having that cow in the classroom, then it's very likely that the teacher really doesn't understand the distress that this child is under because of that peanut butter and jelly sandwich or that chumping on that Frito. That's correct. So the people that are going to be most receptive or, or responsive, maybe is the word I would use, but would be a better word. That's awareness. Maybe that's even a better word. Those that are going to be more aware of these triggers are probably people within the family that is observing that that person, whether they're a, a seven-year-old or a twelve-year-old. That's that's Absolutely. where that's where it's going to be. Um, because the, the child is more is safer there, and and they are that yeah. that is where they're going to get more um, agitated, which is why you have right. these this 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 ability to treat people. I, I in the few minutes that we have remaining, if if those that are listening and, and I'll I'll have this written down too, Tom, because you've been ger- very generous with your information to me. Is there something? in the last few minutes that you would say, okay, here's what you need to take away from this. This is, this is what you need to know. Could you, could you sort of, um, you know, capital, um, clear that up for me? Sure, let's, let's cover that. So first off, I want to say that there's good reasons for hope. Metophonia was not identified ever until 1997 by an audiologist. And for 10 
15 years, it was the sole wor- you know, worries of a few, a small number of audiologists. Then it became more aware. So in, it's actually, uh, we have, based on what we've done in the last 10 years, we have good reasons uh, for hope if you have misophonia or if a loved one has misophonia. We now right. understand what causes misophonia. It is an accidentally acquired, meaning learned, reflex condition. And it includes both the emotions that are so widely known and phys- physiological distress and all the, ah, going can't stand this, you know, distress type response. But it also includes this physical flinch that drives it. You, you can't just think away reflexes. You have to have experience. And the things you need to do with misophonia is, number one, try to relax. Distract yourself. Pay attention to something else. And try to have positive activities and things that are going on when there are little triggers, and that'll make it change. Now, mm-hmm. usually to really provide, to, to make your meat funnier better, it usually takes professional help. I'll, I'll say that. But just trying to relax and distract yourself makes it better. There's two good treatments for misophonia that are used every day. One is relaxation and counterconditioning therapy that I developed, and there is a psychologist that's an associate of mine Nate Mitchell, who does a little bit more of a cognitive behavioral therapy, misophonia. Pretty much it's a lot of behavioral therapy. And uh, I've learned from him and he's learned from me. So relaxation and counterconditioning therapy and secret repatterning hypnotherapy are both very good treatments for misophonia. And all of these treatment providers um, understand that misophonia is an acquired reflex condition. We have a very common view, and we all treat people with that view differently, different ways, but we all have success. So that's another support that says that I know what I'm talking about here today. Sure. Um, And most, most treatment providers can help by video chat. So it's not a problem in your brain. There's not some defect in your upper brain telling you that these sounds are going to hurt you, you don't have a chemical imbalance, you don't have neurons that are misfiring or cross-wired, and you don't have, you're not being possessed by aliens, even though if it feels, that may feel like that. But this, mm-hmm. is a, this is caused by normal neurology, and it's the same neurology that probably made you relax when you were a baby. So you can do something to help your misophonia. Good management technique, get the free download, Relax and read about it in the book. Relax and distract yourself. And if you can, get help from someone who understands me. Well, I, I love that. And I, I think I can relate to this on a, on a slightly different, um, um, slightly different. I tend to be an anxious person. And um, I don't tend to be. I am. Let's put it straight. <laughs> and I will say to my friends and family, you know, when you see me raising that anxious meter, please, please say to me, Mom, Marsha, whomever, take a deep breath. And that is a trigger. And I, and, and I use that for myself, saying, 
every time you say that to me, it's one more reminder. You are experiencing me being anxious, and you are lovingly saying to me, Marsha or Mom, take a deep breath. You, you do yoga once a week. Come on now. You know mm-hmm. how to do this. Take in a deep breath. Hold it. Release it. Take a deep breath. And when they say that to me, it immediately makes me, I don't say, oh, leave me alone. I don't ever say that. Mm-hmm. I always say thank yeah. you. Now, that I, I don't believe that's misophonia. I don't know. Maybe you would say maybe it is a, a, a form of it. I don't it's know. Anxiety. No, it's anxiety. It's anxiety, which so. is different. Right. Yeah. But I would just say for those of you that have listened to this show and have more questions, and sometimes that happens, especially on a topic that is you, – you can't – You've been doing this for a long time. To cover everything you know about this subject in one hour is, is unreasonable. But because you have these uh, websites that allow for people to learn more, I would certainly encourage people to do that. And to be so generous to offer this PDF I think is phenomenal. And I, I've learned a lot from you, including my teacher friend. You know what? What I learned is you might have Susie in your classroom that's having an issue on the, while they're sitting on the rug on you're reading a story, but she's not maybe as likely to display it in the classroom as much as she might be displaying it at home. However, if I've noticed yes. something about her, I am going to talk to mom to see what she, or dad to see what they have to say about this. So I don't think too much information is too much information, in my opinion. Not here it isn't. It sure isn't. So I no. want to thank you for your, for your time, for your generosity in explaining something that is completely um, new to me, Tom. And um, being a behaviorist is certainly it certainly um, suits you well, and I think that this is something that we can all be very grateful for that you've shared this insight with all of us. I, I know I'm very pleased that you spent your time with me today. It's been my pleasure, Marcia. It's been my pleasure. Well, thank you. So for everyone listening, don't forget to visit my website where you will see all of this information that Tom has talked about. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to Tom. You can reach out to me. But for now, I'm going to let everybody get on with their wonderful Monday. And um, once again, thank you so much, Tom Dozier, for being my guest today. Thank you, everybody, and I'll be back again next week. Bye for now.